This Faith and Finance podcast is underwritten in part by Hope for Zambia, empowered by Family Legacy. Hope for Zambia, empowered by Family Legacy, is a ministry providing holistic care for over 14,000 vulnerable and orphaned children, spiritually, intellectually, physically, and emotionally. Whether distributing 5 million meals each year to children and young adults, or by empowering students to graduate from high school and go on to pursue trade school or a university education, Hope for Zambia believes that when you educate a child, you transform their world. Go to Hope for Zambia.com slash faith to give and change lives. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? 1 John 3, 17. I am Rob West. Christians are called to help the poor, and studies consistently show that we're generous people compared to the whole. But does that generosity always mean we're helping? I'll talk with Brian Fickard today about that. Then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Well, our guest today is Brian Ficker, professor of economics and community development and the founder and president of the Chalmers Center for Economic Development at Covenant College. He's also co-author of the best-selling book, When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself. Brian, great to have you on the program today. It's great to be with you today, Rob. Brian, it's pretty obvious that money alone doesn't solve the problem of poverty. It's certainly more complex than that. So how do we need to change our thinking about poverty? You know, it really comes down to this. What is a human being? Hmm. Many of us think of the human being as fundamentally a physical creature. And so we think if we pour in more resources, uh, the person will be better off. And then many of us as Christians think of a person as kind of a body that contains a soul. (laughs) And so we just pour in resources to kind of give people their best life now. But what the Bible actually teaches is that the human being is a highly integrated body, soul, relational creature. We are hardwired for relationships with God, Mm. with ourselves, with others, and with the rest of creation. And once we think of people as these highly integrated body-soul relational things, suddenly we realize that we're going to have to work with people in highly relational ways, because that's how they're wired. Oh, wow. I love that. It's a whole different paradigm, and yet uh, it does have profound implications for how we help those who are hurting. Well, Brian, one chapter in your book says that not all poverty is created equal. Let's talk about that. Are there actually different kinds of poverty? Certainly. You know, when we see a person who's homeless standing on the street corner, we see a person who's lacking in adequate food and clothing and shelter. But then imagine a person who's in Indonesia after the tsunami. That person's also experiencing a lack of food, clothing, and shelter. But I think we know the underlying conditions in those two situations are completely different. Mm. So we have to diagnose what are the underlying causes contributing to that manifestation of a lack of things. And so uh, what we want to do is, is distinguish between people who need relief or rehab 
or development. Relief is appropriate intervention if there's a crisis, if the person is completely unable to help themselves. And so after tsunami, relief is the right intervention. Yes. But once the bleeding has stopped, so to speak, when, once the person is able to contribute to their own betterment, we then want to work in a more rehabilitative kind of way, walking with them. We want to move away from doing things to people and for people and to start doing things with people, asking them to use their gifts and their abilities to improve their own situations. And we want to do that not because we're stingy or uptight, but because we want to restore them as image bearers, as people who live in right relationship with creation. That means stewarding their own gifts and resources. And so we move away from just handouts to a rehab approach where we're walking with them. And then the final stage is development, which is really helping people to move well beyond uh, any conditions they've ever experienced before. And and that's a very long-term process in which both they and we grow more and more into the image of Christ. Oh, that's so helpful, and I love those categories, because that will really inform then how we respond in each of these situations. We'll get into some practical examples of that uh, just around the corner. Brian, about 45 seconds until our first break. Talk to us about economic development and its relationship to poverty specifically. We tend to think that's always the solution. Is that the case? Well, economic development is part of the story. We want to restore people, uh, again, as image bearers, people who can use their own gifts uh, to work and to uh, enjoy the fruits of of that work and then to share with others. And so uh, economic development is, is just that helping people to be able to work. But we want to avoid the story of economic development in Western civilization. That story is a story of the American dream, of earning more to consume more. It's a highly self-centered, highly individualistic story that's not doing any of us any good. Mm. We'll continue to unpack that just around the corner and also some practical help for you as you serve those in need. We'll be right back with Brian Ficker. Stay with us. God has entrusted his finances to you, and we at FaithFi have designed our FaithFi app to help you live, give, owe, and grow with that perspective. Our FaithFi app is the leading biblically-based finance app. You can manage your money, get top biblical financial resources, and interact with a community of like-minded believers, where you can ask questions, get answers, and share what you're learning. Go to faithfi.com and click the word app to get started. If you enjoy this radio program, you're going to love all of the many different resources waiting for you at faithfi.com and the FaithFi app. You'll find powerful wisdom, free podcasts, articles, videos, and more from leading voices such as Randy Alcorn, Howard Dayton, Ron Blue, and our own Rob West. Grow in wisdom and knowledge by connecting with a community of thousands of Christians striving to be good and faithful stewards at faithfi.com or by downloading the FaithFi app. Delighted to have you with us today on Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. Joining me today, Brian Fickert, Professor of Economics and Community Development and the founder and president of the Chalmers Center for Economic Development at Covenant College. We're talking today about his best-selling book, When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself. Uh, Brian, before the break, you were really helping us understand the different approaches to helping those in need, whether that's relief or rehab or development. Uh, 
I'd love for you, as we talk about this idea of when helping hurts, to give us an example or two when, perhaps without even knowing it, we can actually hurt more than help through our giving. Well, uh, an example that many of us are familiar with is that homeless person who's standing on the street corner. We can yeah. uh, reach into our pocket and pull out a quarter and put that quarter in that person's hand. But I think deep down we know that all we've really done is enable that person to continue in that situation. And so we want to be compassionate. We want to uh, pour ourselves out on behalf of the hungry. But sometimes simply treating symptoms rather than the underlying causes can do a lot of harm. And that's often what happens when we're dealing with homeless people. We've got to use a more relational approach because the fact that they're standing there is rooted in something deeper, some broken relationship with God, self, others, or creation. We've got to get to the underlying conditions and stop treating the symptoms. Mm. So what would be an example of how to actually turn that situation to a positive where God can work? How would you advise that person who genuinely wants to help the person they're encountering on the street? Yeah, it's the, the, that particular instance is a very hard one because typically yeah. people who are homeless are dealing with deep brokenness in their relationships with others. Yes. Yes. And that often is characterized by a high degree of mistrust. And so it takes a lot of time to get to know the person and for them to start to trust you. Um, some experts on homelessness would say you need 70 to 80 touches. Mm-hmm. That means conversations with a homeless person before you can even get to the point where you can start to think about positive changes. And so that's a very hard one. Let's think of a different one. Uh, Imagine a woman walks into your church asking for help with her electric bill. Well, you know that that uh, lack of ability to pay the electric bill is a symptom of something deeper. So what you want to do is is, is change the conversation away from uh, simply providing something to her into a direction that says, what are your gifts? What are your abilities? How can we help you use your gifts and your abilities to achieve your goals? What obstacles are you facing in achieving those goals? How can we come alongside of you and help you get over those obstacles so that you can be more of who God has created you to be? And so it's moving away from a transaction to a long-term relationship because God is a relational God, and he uses relationships to restore us to all that it means to be image bearers. Oh, that's powerful. Uh, Let's think of an example, Brian, a little further away from home. Obviously, many of us want to be able to help in uh, remote places in third world countries. You know, we uh, get at Christmas time the catalogs from a lot of different organizations where we could perhaps send a a goat or an animal or something else that might be life-giving or even provide some uh, ongoing financial support for this person if they can, you know, have eggs to sell. Uh, Does that work? And what other considerations might we uh, bring into play as we think about helping those much further away? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, not all Christmas catalogs are created equal, but, but basically <laughs> we want to help people to build their assets, build their own gifts and their own resources. And so yeah. things like um, goats or um, uh, other kinds of things that build income-generating assets can be uh, a, a really great way to help people. Uh, chickens can be a great way. People view the goats and the chickens as assets that can generate income, and so that can be an approach. Another approach is something called microfinance, which provides um, essentially banking services for very poor people so they can save 
and borrow money to increase their ability to start small businesses, to put their kids in school, uh, to pay for emergencies. And so there's ways to build local capacity, local assets that are very empowering. So we should be looking for those things, not just things that are constantly just giving handouts of consumer items. Yeah. I love the microfinance idea. For those listening today, Brian, that have a bit more surplus, maybe God's given them an abundance and they want to learn more about how to do that. Any resources you might point them to to learn about these opportunities that are really working and meeting needs? Well, at the risk of sounding like a commercial, the Chalmers Center's website is full of resources to help uh, your listeners to steward uh, their financial resources, both at home and abroad. Mm, that's great. Give the uh, URL. We'll give it at least one more time before we're done. But where can they go? It's just www.chalmers, C-H-A-L-M-E-R-S dot O-R-G, www.chalmers dot O-R-G. And there's a plenty of resources there, books, courses, curricula to help you minister more effectively, both at home and abroad. Brian, a lot of uh, folks think of the short-term mission trips that are going on, especially this summer, with uh, a lot of churches around the country. Anything we need to know about there, about making that something that really is helpful? Well, uh, we actually have a book called Helping Without Hurting in Short-Term Missions, because we actually believe short-term trips can do a lot of harm. Uh, we often perpetuate the very things that we criticize the federal government for. We rush in, we hurl around resources, and then we leave. And we think that's a small thing, but our trip is just one of a series of trips. Uh, really waves and waves of short-term trips that often dispense resources in ways that uh, further mar the identity of the poor. Many poor people around the world have a sense of shame a sense of incapacity, a sense that they can't affect change in their environments. And so we exacerbate those feelings by rushing in, taking over, and hurling out resources. And so we've got to use a different approach. There is a role for short-term trips, but it's typically a backstage role. It's typically supporting and encouraging the organizations that are there over the long haul. They're the primary manifestation of Jesus Christ in those communities. I love that. Perhaps you want to check out this resource at the Chalmers Center for how you can point your church in the right direction on how to use short-term missions effectively. Brian, just a minute and a half left. I love stories. Perhaps you can finish with an example or a success story of the right kind of help. I'd love to share a story from Togo. Togo is a very small country in West Africa, and Togo is one of the poorest countries in the entire world. It's actually the center of uh, witchcraft and voodoo. And we were working with a very, very, very poor church there in a very rural part of Togo. They were about a, a, an hour drive off of the paved road. And we said to that local church, how could you use your own gifts, your own resources, to be what God has called you to be, the body and bride and fullness of Jesus Christ in that community? And so they decided to uh, repair the road. The road was full of potholes uh, oh. from the rains. They went out and started to repair the road. Pretty soon the whole community came out and said, what are you doing here? And they said, we serve a king who would like us to take care of his world. Our God is the owner of everything, and he wants us to steward his resources. So we're repairing the road to take care of his world. The whole community came out and joined them. There was a witch doctor from a neighboring village who saw what was happening. He said to that church, I will give you land if you will plant a church like this one in my village, because I want my village to serve the same God that you serve. 
Wow, that's incredible. Man, what a powerful example. Well, Brian, we've just scratched the surface. Will you come back sometime and join us again? I would love that, Rob. Thank you so much. Thanks for being with us. That was Brian Ficker today with the Chalmers Center and the author of the book, When Helping Hurts. If you'd like to learn more about the great work of Brian and his team at the Chalmers Center, you can go to chalmers.org. That's C-H-A-L-M-E-R-S dot O-R-G. Back with much more just around the corner. We'll be right back. We are grateful for support from Praxis Mutual Funds. Praxis Mutual Funds has seven impact strategies that are designed to create positive real-world change. More information is available at PraxisMutualFunds.com. The fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses are contained in the prospectus and summary prospectus. This and other information is available at PraxisMutualFunds.com. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Foreside Fund Services, LLC. Hope for Zambia, empowered by Family Legacy, is a ministry providing hope to vulnerable and orphaned children in Zambia by investing into their spiritual, intellectual, physical, and emotional growth and well-being. Whether distributing 5 million meals each year to students or empowering them to graduate from high school and go on to pursue post-secondary education, we believe that when you educate a child, you change their world. Go to hopeforzambia.com faith to transform a life. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. We've got a few lines open, 800-525-7000. Hey, as we head toward June 30th, that's our fiscal year end, the end of our year here at Faith and Finance. And we are listener-supported. And as a listener-supported ministry, it's an important time of year for us to finish the year strong financially, which means your support is more important than ever during this season. We have a uh, an exciting offer out there for any gift to Faith and Finance between now and June 30th. Uh, we're calling it our free-to-follow package. It includes Michael Blue's great new book, that takes you in-depth on what the Bible says about money and possessions and really offers a challenge to rid yourself and myself included of any baggage in how we view and use money. Uh, also, our brand new Faith 5 phone wallet that affixes to your ba- the back of your phone. Those together make up our free-to-follow package. We'd love for you to request that as our gift to you when you give a gift to the ministry of any amount. It's simple and easy to do. Just head to faithfi.com. That's faithfi.com and click give. Thanks in advance. All right, back to the phones we go to Oregon. Hi, Sandy. How can I help you? Hey, thank you for considering my question today. Um, I'm calling about um, a couple that are friends of my family who are a pastor and wife. They pay their taxes quarterly, and they've recently gotten a letter from the IRS saying that their um, taxes were reviewed and that it was determined that they've overpaid their taxes. And Sorm also said you could dispute that within 30 days, um, and that they would be receiving a check, and they have since then um, received that check. Now, um, the wife said, do you think this is real or legit? Well, it came from the IRS, and it is a real check, so I just wondered if you'd ever heard of that. 
Uh, yeah, it does happen. Uh, and I would say scammers don't typically send you checks. They prefer that you send them back to them. Uh, I'm saying that a little tongue in cheek, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. If you overpay with quarterly payments, which as a, a self-employed individual is how you, you know, typically send in those estimated payments each quarter, the IRS will in fact send you a refund check once the return is processed. Um, once the actual tax, um, liability is calculated. If they've collected more than you owe, then they will issue that check and it'll come right back to you uh, in one of those checks. They all look the same and um, you can absolutely deposit that. So I would say that it probably is legitimate if they received official communication from the IRS and then that was followed up uh, from uh, a check issued by the U.S. Treasury uh, also coming from the IRS. I think it's probably as simple as they overpaid. Yes, they they did not do their own taxes. They had, you know, a licensed person do their taxes for them. So, and I know that the wife said, well, what if they look at it again, like in six months and then they want it back and we've already done something with it? <laughs> right. I said, well, I'm maybe call and check and see if somebody could yeah. tell us. But they don't usually look at it a third time for somebody that makes not a lot of money. So. Sure. Well, I would have them, since they did use a tax preparer, I would have them provide that original form that they received in the mail to their tax preparer so that that can be a part of their uh, record uh, in the file that the tax preparer keeps. It should have given a breakdown in that letter before the check or with the check that says, here's what you calculated your tax to be on your return. Here's what you paid. Here's our number, which may or may not agree with their final calculation. And there, and then here's the justification for why we're sending this back to you. Did are you aware of whether or not it had that breakdown with it? I'm not because I didn't see the form, but I know okay. that they went in and talked to the person, and she said, "Well, I, we can't both be right." And but she said, "I don't think that they are going to come after you." <laughs> she said, "Do what your conscience tells you," and I'm like. Sheesh, you prayed your taxes wouldn't be too high this year, and maybe it's just a blessing. So Yeah, exactly I, right. I said, I said, put it away in a CD for uh, 12 months, and then after next year's taxes, you'll still enjoy it. That's <laughs> right. They certainly could do that. Well, I'm a little confused as to why the CPA can't arrive at the final number. I mean, if she disagrees, uh, and there, there can be errors, um, you know, it could be on her end or it could be on their end and either of them are, uh, capable of, of making mistakes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, your idea is not a bad one, but I suspect if, if they've issued this, uh, this final calculation and it resulted in, in then, uh, an overpayment, I, I don't think they're probably going to hear from them again. At the end of the day, though, I think just based on what you're describing, it's probably not a scam. Um, so I think they can feel pretty confident about moving forward and even spending that money. Thanks for your checking in with us today, Sandy. We appreciate you being on the program. Uh, to Muncie. Hi, Bill. Go ahead, sir. Hi. I wish I had the problem that that last caller had, but uh, <laughs> I have the exact opposite call problem. All right. Uh, my wife's been working as a 1099 employee, and this year she didn't put back enough, and it looks like we're going to end up owing the IRS about $30,000. And my question is, do I deal with the normal, make the payments, deal with the interest and late fees and all that stuff? Or should I, you know, borrow some money somewhere and get that knocked out? I don't know what their interest rate is yet because I don't have everything. I mean, I've, I filed for an extension, so I don't have the number to go in and find out what it would be to make a payment plan. But 
the only time I've ever heard uh, your friend and mine, Dave Ramsey, uh, say dip into your 401k is if you owe the IRS money. So I don't know if that's yes. good advice uh, or not good yeah, I, I probably would not go out and borrow on this. I'd probably just uh, set up a payment plan with them. It's not inexpensive. Um, I mean, it's it's going to be uh, probably the federal short-term rate plus two percentage points. So that's getting up there around 7%. But um, you're going to spend that to borrow that anyway. So I think the key is go and get that tax return filed and then get on an installment plan with them. You could even consider an offer and compromise but it sounds like just given the situation, you're going to need to do the installment plan. They'll be willing to work with you. I think the key is go ahead and communicate with them, file that return, and get uh, making progress toward paying that off. Quickly, uh, to Marion in Tampa, I've got just a minute. Go ahead. Hi, Rob. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I just have a question. Uh, my wife and I are trying to sell our house, but we trying. We don't know if we should uh, rent this house or... Um, completely sell it. Yeah. Um, do, do you have twenty percent uh, uh, for a down payment on the next one if you don't sell it? No, I, I was thinking about getting an equity line. It's going to be about ninety thousand. I uh, use that as a just to avoid the PMI and all that for the next yeah. house. No, I, I wouldn't do that, Marion. If, if you don't have that twenty percent down payment, that tells me you're not ready to be a landlord on a second property just from a cash flow standpoint, not in terms of your financial maturity. So I think from what I'm hearing, if you don't have that 20%, let's use that as a good indicator that you need the equity in this current house to buy the next one, especially with us heading into a recession, likely. Uh, I don't want you to be over levered and potentially have a rental property that you don't have a renter in, and now you've got yourself in a financial predicament. I'd sell it, plow it into the next house, and buy that rental property later. Thanks for your call today. I hope you'll make plans to join us again next time for another edition of Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you.